everybody, welcome to the inaugural episode of, I guess we're calling it the MTG Grindcast for now. I like it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so this is a spiky podcast focused on, you know, the grind, uh, definitely slanted towards the SCG tour. We're located in the Southeast. My name is Chris Castro Rappel. I'm here with, uh, Collins Mullen, my Hello. co-host. Hello, everybody. Sorry. Sorry. I'm not trying to talk over you. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, and yeah, so we're excited to start this out. We're going to be focusing mostly on upcoming interesting stuff every week, uh, whatever tournament's happening that weekend, uh, definitely from like the spiky grinder standpoint of it. So this week, uh, most most pressing topic, most recent topic is Invitational Weekend was this past weekend. Um, we both were there, had kind of different levels of performance at that weekend. Um and so I think we're going to talk about what happened, what it means for the formats coming up, standard and modern, and then we'll talk about some Hour of Devastation cards, if that, if that all sounds good to you, Collins. Yeah, sounds great, for sure. Cool. Um, I guess since this is our first episode, we should probably talk about sort of who we are, so you guys know who we are, um, what we've done, our experience with Magic. Uh, you want to start? Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, my name is Collins Mullen. Um, I've been uh, grinding some Magic um recently uh particularly on the Star City games series um i guess we've been playing magic for about three years now um maybe more like two competitively um but got really into the competitive scene uh, i love traveling to tournaments i try to travel as much as i can um and yeah uh i've had some success recently on the Star City games series um uh kind of made it up onto the leaderboard um with that, um, and uh, yeah, so right now uh, I just got picked up by Team uh, Lotus Box, which I'm sure we'll talk about more in the future on the podcast. Um, and uh, so I've been testing with them, particularly for the Pass Invitational, um, which where we had a pretty good weekend as a team, which was great to see. Um, and so you've. Yeah. You've individually, you've top eighted an open relatively recently. You top eighted an invitational. Wh- which invitational did you top eight? Um, the one before this past weekend. Okay. Um, I believe it was in Atlanta. That's- yeah. So yeah, I mean, I've got I've got a couple results here and there. I got an invitational top eight. I've got two open top eights. Um, Grand Prix top sixteen. Uh, so yeah, you know. Um, mine is kind of kind of the opposite background of yours, I would say. <laughs> I've been playing Magic for approximately infinite years, um, at, at least since I was 12 years old, so that's 17 years at this point, at varying levels of, of competitiveness. But I think right now I'm sort of getting back into the high-level competitive play, managed to take living into the finals of the last Modern Open in Charlotte, yep. uh, which is definitely my, my biggest <laughs> and probably the accomplishment I'm most proud of to date. Yeah, um, I mean, that was awesome, for sure. You know, if I was in an open, I've never been that far. So. Yeah, and with, with living end of all things. Yeah. Just definitely a pet deck of mine that I'll probably mention too much on this podcast, and, and we'll try to avoid Sweet. too much conversation nah, about it. I love it. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I think we're probably ready to just dive into it, talk about the, the Invitational weekend. Um, what did we see there? How, how did our weekends go? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so the Invitational weekend for me started off um, pretty uh, game-wise, pretty poorly. Um, uh, I started out 
two three in the tournament not great yeah not great so kind of like you know all right uh not this time i guess we'll uh we'll pack it in maybe prepare for the open or whatever um but then i ended up uh winning out um on uh on day one to make day two at five and three um and then only dropped one game or one match in day two so i ended up actually putting up a pretty solid finish considering the start that i started with um I ended up uh, taking an intentional draw in the last round of the tournament to draw into top 32. Ended up in 22nd place, so uh, very happy with that. Almost more importantly, leapfrogged Hunter Nance. Oh yeah, right. And then the other kind of backstory to that is that um, I so in the season one uh, Star City Games leaderboard, I was uh, kind of like hovering around 10th to 13th place throughout pretty much the entire season. Um, mostly on the back of the Invitational Top 8 that I had uh, at the beginning of the season. Um, and uh, I knew that I needed, uh, for those of you who don't know, in the seasonal standings for the Star City Games series, uh, they give out kind of prizes to the top eight players who finish in the season in the form of um, cards from upcoming standard sets. Um, so, like, if 5th uh, f- through 8th place in the season get, like, one copy of each card in the new standard set, in, in I think, the next two standard sets that are coming out, so... Just um, a nice little bonus for yeah, playing a lot of magic. You know, um, it's no uh, player championship, no. but, uh, <laughs> but it, it, you know, it's, it's kind of like a nice little bonus. I think that the, uh, the primary reason to care about the leaderboard, actually, is because of the buys that come along with that. I was lucky enough to have two buys pretty much all season um, for um, any of the opens that I went to this season, um, which was really the the major incentive for me to want to keep up my standing. Um, but um, anyways, back to uh, what happened at the Invitational uh, this past weekend was that I was 10th coming into the seasonal uh, standings, and uh, this was the last tournament of the season. And uh, my friend Hunter Nance was in eighth place, and so he was kind of like battling to to stay in the top. Um, but he did not make day two of the Invitational, and I ended up getting top thirty two, which was good for fifteen points, which was uh, good enough to leapfrog Hunter for <laughs> for the eighth place slot. Um, so that was pretty sweet. And I, uh, I think he saw the moment where that kind of got locked in your opponent in the second to last <laughs> round unfortunately missed a land drop in game three <laughs> yeah and hunter actually looked at me and just sort of shook his head shook his head and said well and and walked away yeah 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 so um so that was you know kind of a sweet little sub story to the to the weekend um so uh, a pretty good weekend for you oh yeah for sure um i've always noticed how y- your view of a tournament is kind of always dependent on like the last couple of rounds mm-hmm. um like, uh, you could finish in top 16 of a tournament, but if you, like, lost two win and ends to top eight or something, then you're going to feel pretty bad about the, the weekend. Yeah. Um, but if you climb back from 2-3... But, right, if you climb back from 2-3, uh, you... Like, I felt great about the weekend. You sure. know, like, 22nd place, you know, I'll, it's, you know, definitely nothing to sneeze at or whatever, but, um, uh, you know, I always try to shoot for, you know, making the top eight, winning the tournament, all that stuff. Um but uh, yeah, especially like starting off kind of weakly and then rallying, um, really, really put a good spin on uh, my perspective on the tournament. Yeah, which is pretty sweet. And I kind of had 
very different experience. Uh, along that note, uh, <laughs> started the invitation at three one, which I was com- very comfortable with. You know, if you're just three one, three one, three one, three one. Yeah, like no, that's, that's a that's a great record. That, sure. That's a perfect, perfectly fine record. Yeah. Um, so managed three one with Living End uh, because I'm not very creative. Uh, played standard. Uh, played Monument, which. After my four rounds and going 1-3 with my only win being against Brad Nelson on Team or Energy. Nice. Um, I felt like, oh shoot, I really didn't make a good choice by playing Monument. Uh, it was kind of a meta choice. I felt like it was strong against Energy and Constrictor and, and pretty strong against Zombies, though not as good as, as a lot of people might argue that it is. Um, but unfortunately, I played against New Perspectives and Blue-Red Emerge, which are, are both extremely difficult matchups. Um, so felt felt a little rough after that, but then seeing how well Monument did this weekend, felt a yeah, little bit vindicated sure. in my deck choice. Um, and then the Open similarly uh, started out four zero, went zero three immediately after that, and and that that feeling of just like falling down from from feeling pretty good is it's rough. It's yeah, definitely the opposite sure. of that that climbing back up feeling. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely kind of goes along with that the theory that I lined out earlier. Um, but, um, yeah. So, I guess, yeah, let's talk about some decks. Let's talk about some formats. Yeah, so. let's, uh, let's dive into kind of the results from the Invitational and see what we can learn from that. Um, the, the one pretty cool thing that uh, Star City does for all the Invitationals is they post the seven, one, or better uh, deck lists for each format. Because it's, it's split format. It's standard and modern. Right, yeah. The Invitational split format, you play eight rounds of modern and eight rounds of standard over the course of the tournament. Um, and uh, one thing that that kind of does a lot is it kind of skews the results of um, uh, the top eight deck lists. Like those deck lists that you're looking at for the top eight aren't, for each format, really aren't um, uh, as uh, predictive of what the format looks like overall because somebody might have, like, be able to, to have a perfect record in modern and, like, because that's their format, they're just, like, really good at that format. And then they were able to squeak out, like, a 5-3 in another format to make top 8. Um, so looking at their standard deck, if they 8-0'd modern, uh, isn't really uh, a good view on, like, one of the... It, you'd think that looking at that standard deck, it's like, oh, that's, like, the great standard deck or whatever. But um, uh, it's, it's much more useful to look at the deck lists that do well in their respective formats... Um, independent of the final standings of the player. Um, so Star City posts the seven one or better deck lists, which kind of gives us a good look at, um, a, a kind of a better look at what was actually successful in each format. And there's a lot of different stuff. If, we, if we're going to start, start with yeah. modern. Yeah, why don't we start with modern, for with sure. Modern. There's a lot of decks that were pretty successful. I, I think we had uh, 10 different seven and one decks. Uh um, yeah, I, uh, just kind of scrolling through it, I, I don't think, I think there might have been two Grixis Shadows, um, and two Eldrazi Trons, but everything else was unique, um, which is awesome. Uh, I always like the tournaments where, um, you can kind of, like, look at the decks that did well, and it's, like, a very diverse spread. Um, I think that's pretty indicative of, like, a, a healthy format. Um, I really... Uh, like where modern is right now in in that sense um, because I think that there are definitely a lot of viable options um, like the quote-unquote best deck right now in 
modern, I think, is viewed at, as uh, Grixis Death Shadow. Yeah, no question. But but that deck isn't. It's not really oppressive in any sense. Um, it's it's not a deck that's like really holding down any other decks. Um, and I think it's. Uh, I I've heard a lot of people say that they like that as the best deck. It's kind of more like a a Jundi style of best deck, and and by that I mean just it's just trying to play, you know, fair magic. Right, um, there's you know, as, few... as fair as Death Shadow can be, really, but <laughs> right, as fair as your yeah. one mana eight eight, right, is. right. Um, but it, you know, yeah, it's a lot of one for ones, uh, not a lot of, you know, there's no, it's not through the breaching anything. It's not, right, right, right. It's not putting twenty power guys into play for a couple of mana. It's 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 doing mostly fair stuff, very powerful stuff, and mm. most of its cards cost like half a mana less than they probably should. And you add them all together, and you have a right, very efficient right. deck, but. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, you know, that's just kind of like the Jun style. We're just, like, playing all of the most powerful things that we can for the mana cost. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know, looking at, at this list of decks, I mean, we've got a Ponza deck. We've got, you know, several different sort of Jundi, Abzandi, Abzani mid-range decks that are not mm-hmm. Death Shadow. I think a, a unifying thing to a lot of these decks is they all have a plan for the Grixis Death Shadow matchup. Yeah. Um, you know, something like the Ponza deck at the top of the list. Stuff like Inferno Titan and Thrag Tusk, if, if a deck starts resolving those things against Death Shadow... Yeah, Death Shadow's just going to fold yeah. pretty uh, pretty quickly. Like, um, you know, sometimes Stormbreath Dragon is just lethal. <laughs> you <Yes>. know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is, you know... Uh, but yeah, let's so let's let's go ahead and start talking about the list that we see here. Um, the first one on the list is uh, Green Red Ponza, um, and which is really a ramp deck more than anything else. It's uh, yeah, it's kind of like a hybrid between a it's like a ramp mana disruption land destruction deck. Yeah, um, you're playing things like Blood Moon, Stone Rain, uh, Moon Volley, Acid Moss, which is the best <laughs> of both worlds. Uh, um, and so you're, you're essentially trying to lock your opponent out of the game by either slowing them down on their mana development or locking them out of casting anything with Blood Moon, um, all while uh, speeding up your own mana development with things like Arbor Elf and Utopia Sprawl. Um, and then uh, it's wind condition. I mean, I've seen a bunch of different wind conditions out of this deck. I think the most popular ones right now are uh, Storm Breath Dragon, um, Thrag Tusk, that we see on this list. Um, and then he's got some spicy ones here. He's got two Chandra Torture Defiance and two Garuk uh, Primal Hunters. Um, and Chandra, similarly to like Acid Moss, right. you know, has a couple of roles. It's kind of the best of both worlds. It either lets you cast your Inferno Titan a turn earlier, or right. it Yeah, Inferno Titan is the other one that I overlooked, yeah. For sure. Yeah, the, the quad Inferno Titan in Modern is pretty sweet. I'm, I'm definitely a fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, got to make sure that we we get all this all these titans to see play. For sure. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I mean, and and the the kind of the premise is that um, the Ponza deck is trying to uh, close the game out before your opponent can like draw back into the game after you make them stumble on their mana, right? So you you just want this Inferno Titan that can just kill them in two swings or whatever, or or one, or one swing. you know, it's modern. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you pay a little bit of life and um, you just. Fire breathing it and hit lightning bolt in yeah, place. Right. I mean, it, and if you've got your blood moon in play, then you can just tap all your lands for, uh, or most of your lands for red mana. Well, there are ten forests in this deck, though. Oh yeah. I mean, ideally you want mostly forests yeah. for sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, uh, it's kind of it's cool to see this deck. Like it's this deck isn't a tier one deck, I don't think, but um, it's definitely cool to see it doing well in 
um, a, a premier modern tournament. Sure. Um, so good job, Bernard. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, Bernard uh, Liberati was the pilot of this deck. Uh, so and I think we should make an I... effort to to say the pilots' names. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Cause, I agree because they did the work and they got there. Um, yeah. Next up here is uh, good old fashioned Jund, uh, uh, piloted by uh, Matt Pulse. Um, he and I say good old fashioned. But kind of not really, because in this list we see one lightning bolt. <laughs> more, more, more Coligan's commands than lightning bolts <laughs> right, in this yeah. deck. So, um, yeah, the good old-fashioned days of four bolt being just the best removal spell in modern, I think, are definitely over. Um, instead, we see uh, the replacement of that being four fetal push. Um, and a couple of terminates. Terminate just is, is really excellent right now. Yes, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, more than a couple. We're seeing three terminates here, which is... Um, I think a bit more than I'm used to, maybe not um, at a Jund. I'm not terribly familiar with... Uh, Jund has just taken so many adaptations recently to keep up with the metagame. Um, it's just one of those decks that you can kind of tune towards any metagame that's been um, uh, quote-unquote solved. Not really solved, but like um, you, you kind of know what to expect. And, and I think the idea behind playing these Jund or Abzan decks that feature um, slightly slower card advantage things like like Dark Confidant. Um, I, I think the idea is to be a little bit bigger than Death Shadow, to, to have enough remo removal spells to deal with their threats, um, get in there with a couple of card advantage things like a, one Dark Confidant, one Huntmaster, one Scavenging Ooze, or something can win the game on its own after you've traded resources. Right. Um, you know, the more the more Tron that shows up, you know, any, any Eldrazi Tron and definitely any, like, true Tron deck, that, that's going to give these Jund decks a hard time. But if you kind of dodge those a little bit, don't play against them too many times, then I think it is in a, a decent spot for this Death Shadow heavy metagame. Yeah, definitely. Um, like, looking over the deck lists, um, we're definitely seeing a lot of things that are, I feel, tuned against Death Shadow, like just looking at the removal spell suite, we've got a bunch of removal spells that kill uh, both Death Shadows and the uh, the Delve threats, um, out of like Terminate and Maelstrom Pulse. Well, and the Planeswalker choice of four Liliana. And yeah, Veil. and the other thing that I was going to mention is that this deck is running four Liliana of the Veils, which is uh, definitely very, very strong against any sort of Death Shadow strategy. Um, it's like, it's the one card that you want to see in the, in the Death Shadow mirrors more than anything else. Um, I'm kind of talking through this as the perspective of a Death Shadow player, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so, uh, you know, well done to Matt Pulse for uh, his 7-1. Or, it doesn't actually give the exact record. He could have either gotten... Oh, that's true. Um, could have been 8-0. Could have been 8-0, but um, yeah. Um, this, okay, so this next deck list, um, I do know for a fact that this player went... Eight and no. Uh, <laughs> this is Lantern Control um, uh, with the hands uh, of Adrian Sullivan, who ended up making top eight of the Invitational with it. Um, the uh, there were definitely some interesting choices here in um, his Lantern list. Uh, some main deck choices that I wouldn't really expect to see out of um, this deck, but uh, it looks like Adrian had a read on the metagame. Um, he's got two Leyline of Sanctities in the main, and one Aether Grid in the main, which I think are unusual choices for Lantern. Um, and he also has a Crucible of the Worlds in the main deck. So, um... So what... I mean, I would... 
you know, my initial, I, maybe nobody but Adrian Sullivan can really answer these questions. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but Ether Grid, is that because Affinity is so hard game one without a card like that? Or I, I don't know what, I, I'm not sure what other reason. I, I mean, obviously it can kill your opponent because mm-hmm. there's so many, you got so many lanterns and stuff, but I'm, I'm not sure what matchup it's directed at. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I would assume that maybe Affinity has something to do with that, as it just being a pretty bad matchup overall for Lantern. Mostly because its zero ones can attack straight through an instant. Right, bridge. yeah. Affinity is one of those decks that puts on an early fast clock and then does have um, some zero ones that you can instant speed equip a cranial plating to to just kind of like turn four or five or whatever, land the killing blow against a resolved ensnaring bridge which uh, Lantern is kind of leaning pretty heavily on to uh, lock out the game. Um, but um, but yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know Lantern well enough to be able to speak too much on these numbers, um, but noting that there are definitely some interesting inclusions that it looks like worked out very well for Adrian, because um, uh, he, he, he was able to go undefeated in Modern um, with his Lantern Control deck. So Yeah, I also... Definitely don't have much to add, except for that incredible sideboard, which is looks like 11 one-ofs and two two-ofs. Uh, yes. Uh, some highlights on the sideboard, I guess we'll mention. Uh, one Padim console with innovation. <laughs> Gotta give your artifacts test proof. Um, one Gapk Teague. Uh, one Magus of the Moon. Which seems pretty bad for the, the Lantern deck when it's out, but I guess... If it's just worse for well, your opponent. Uh, I mean, I've seen Blood Moons out of the sideboard of Lantern Control. You don't really need colorless sources. Um, and you... Uh, but uh, it does definitely make casting your Abrupt Decays <laughs> right. much, much more Fair. difficult. Um, but I guess the main engine of your deck all yeah. co- costs whatever mana you've got. So Yeah, for sure. Um, Alright, next up is an Abzan deck. Uh from uh, James Wolmacher, who also made Top 8 of the Invitational. And this one is fancy. This is not your normal Abzan deck. Um, I'm into this deck a lot. Yeah, the uh, it's listed as Abzan, but I, when I say Abzan in Modern, I'm normally thinking about things like um, Siege Rhino, a bunch of removal spells. Grimflare. Uh, Grimflare, um, something along those lines. Um, but uh, he's definitely taking a different approach on, on uh, Modern. And I, I was actually talking a lot with James um, over the course of the weekend, um, and I guess we'll tell some more of those stories later, but um, <laughs> he does consider himself a modern aficionado. He was much more prepared for modern, he felt like, than, um, uh, than standard, and uh, he, he's got some interesting choices. With his uh, this this deck list, kind of looking at it, is definitely looks like um, somebody wasn't afraid to kind of make their own decisions on their their deck list, which is really awesome to see. Um, and and we'll we'll talk about his standard deck at least a little bit later. Oh too, yeah, but, for sure, for but, sure. I mean, this yeah. is um, yeah. So he he definitely wasn't afraid to shake it up a little bit. So let's go through the deck list. Starts off with three Knight of the Reliquaries. Um, and he's not really trying to do anything unfair with these knights. They're um, just big. He's yeah, they're just like very efficient threats. Um, he's got some bullets in his mana base. Uh, one Gavany, a Ghost Quarter, um, some Manlands that he could potentially search up. Uh, the Vault of the Archangel, um, 
these are all kind of like, you know, bullets you can find with your knights. Um, but not really trying to do anything unfair with that. Um, right, no no Coral Helm. Uh, yeah, um, no Coral Helms um, and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, this is very much a mid-range deck. Yeah, yeah. Just with, with choices that you don't see all the time. Right. So three Knights is one of the interesting things. Um, two Voice of Resurgence, uh, three Noble Hierarch, and four Tarmogoyf. You kind of have to have four Tarmogoyf. It's just great. Um, Although... You know, the feeling currently from from most people I talk to is really that that, that Tarmogoyf is at a low point in modern right now. This, you know, with yeah. the, the omnipresence of Fatal Push as the removal mm-hmm. point, removal spell of choice, and the fact that it's just smaller than Death Shadow and and often smaller than Gurmag Angler. Um, right, it's it's yep. in a rough spot, and and also bad against like the Eldrazi decks. Uh, yes, I mean, yeah, I mean Tarmogoyf just isn't really going to make it too far in the game of modern these days. Um, so. Uh, I think still a necessary inclusion here, but um, mm-hmm. not really the card that you're excited for. And then kind of fleshing out the threat suite in the spell section, um, we've got three Liliana the Veils, just a very solid card. And I, so, um, you know, this isn't the first time we've seen a bunch of Liliana the Veils in right, these right, mid-range yeah. decks. Definitely um, gearing against Death Shadow, I think, here for sure. Um, and, and, then, it, and it's working. Right, yeah. Uh, and then we also have four Lingering Souls and three Bitter Blossom in, in the main deck here. Um, so uh, definitely feel it has like more of a, um, a token-z theme than I think your normal uh, um, Abzan list. Like normal Abzan definitely is running four Lingering Souls and I think that that's definitely one of the, um, uh, the more, uh, the better threats against like um, Death Shadow in particular, but he's really kind of doubling down on that with the three extra copies of Bitter Blossom. Yeah. He just really uh, wants to increase the likelihood of him being able to play that like grindy tokens game. Yeah. And he's got, I mean, he's, he has effectively much more than his one Gavany Township and one Vault of the Archangel because he's got those three Night of the Reliquaries. Right, yeah. So, um, and I really dig the synergy between the tokens that he's got in here and the Knights with his mana base of the Gavany Township and the Vault of the Archangel. Mm-hmm. Like, Gavany and Vault are both excellent with uh, Lingering Soul tokens. Yep. Um, so, uh, definitely something that we're not used to seeing out of uh, just your normal Abzan list that he's really paying attention to. Now, would you, I mean, I guess we should at least talk a little bit about, like, how comfortable would you be shuffling, you know, taking this deck to a random modern tournament, shuffling up this 75? Yeah. You know? um, me, personally, uh, kind of medium, honestly, uh, because, um, you know, I, I tend to try to play more unfair decks in modern. Mm-hmm. Um But this is kind of like the epitome of your fair deck, yeah. right? This is, uh, you know... Playing Lingering Souls and Bitter Blossom, you're. I feel like he's almost trying to dodge some matchups a little bit in modern here. Like I would hate to see something like Valakut or sure. um, uh, kind of any of the other f- like uh, super unfair decks that are resilient to your discard. Uh, he's got three Inquisition and three Thoughtseize in in the main deck, um, and I see he's got an additional Thoughtseize uh, in the sideboard, but and two Collective Brutalities. Yeah, and two collective brutalities, but um, yeah, it, it it looks to me like his, he's got some definite weak matchups in modern. Um, so, uh, but I mean, uh, he said that he knew pretty modern pretty well, so maybe he feels better about those matchups than it looks like on paper. Um, and you always take 
some sort of risk with your deck choice in modern. You know, there's yeah. so many decks. Uh, something right. you want yeah, to dodge. Right. Yeah, and the, and that's just kind of the reality of modern is that you, you you're gonna have bad matchups with modern. It's sure. just it's just the reality of it. Um, but modern's so diverse. I think now that um, you know, it's not like standard where you are pretty guaranteed to run into the top three decks mm-hmm. at a tournament, right? Um, yeah, so definitely a sweet deck list. Um, kudos to James for for bringing that to the tournament. Um, uh, James definitely had some very unique choices uh, throughout uh, both formats, and yes. they it looks like they played off pretty well for him. So, um, yeah. Next up here, we've got a Grixis Death Shadow list. Um, just kind of looking over the main deck, uh, this uh, is uh, Ryan Bowles, who went 7-1 with Death Shadow. Um, he, uh, nothing really too odd, just looking over the deck list. Um, he's running pretty much the stock list. He's got one Liliana, the Last Hope, in the main deck. Which your team um, thought was right as well. Yeah, uh, I also ended up playing Grixis Death Shadow at the tournament, and um, uh, we, we ended up putting Liliana in the main um, actually, well, I should reiterate, uh, so I played essentially Dylan Donegan's 75, uh, in Death Shadow, and we had a couple of interesting techs for the deck. Uh, we cut down to three Street Wraiths, and we ended up playing 18 lands as opposed to the normal 19 and, uh, two Sleight of Hands. Um, we had seen, I think, uh, Ari Lax was the first person to kind of like innovate into sleight of hands in the Death Shadow. Sure. Uh, but Ari was playing 17 lands and four sleight of hands. Um, and we thought that that was a little too cantrip heavy. I think that you're losing a little bit yeah. out on your speed. Right. But if you, if you have to spend four mana on cantrips early on in the game. Yeah. Um, and that definitely happened with our deck, but I think that we kind of tried to cut that down a little bit. Um, but yeah, um, I played one Liliana in the main. Um, I think Dylan still had both of his in the sideboard, um, but he did. He did tell me that he he liked the change. He just wasn't really w- willing to pull the trigger on it. Um, but it uh, looks like Ryan uh, agreed with me here um, and put a Liliana in the main. Um, and oh, the other thing that was pretty interesting uh, out of uh, our team's Grixis sideboard is that we had two team of battle rage in the sideboard mm-hmm. which isn't really a normal addition um i don't think uh a lot of people are prepared for team of battle rage out of crixus in particular i definitely cast it a lot and uh got a surprised reaction from my opponents yes. um <laughs> yeah uh and uh it looks like ryan agreed with me there as well he's got one team of battle rage here in his sideboard um and uh i mean i like that a lot i think that there are a lot of matchups where you really just need to take a turn off the clock. Um, the things like um, your combo matchups, or even the matchups that are good at like clogging up the ground, mm-hmm. um, you just n- want some ability to punch through some chump blocker and kill them. Right. Um, so it's not really for, for example, the lingering souls matchups because those are more mid rangey decks. They right. Don't want yeah. A dead card like battle rage. Um, yeah, I mean, you definitely don't want Battle Rage against something like um, James Wolmacher's Abzan deck. Even mm-hmm. though he is playing a lot of tokens, he's also playing it, the full removal suite. And you don't you don't really want to bring in the team of Battle Rages in the decks that are playing Fatal Push. Um, because your guy's just not going to survive. Um, 
And most of the time. There's no worse right. thing in the world than playing modern, having no creatures in play, and drawing a team or battle rage off the top yes, of your deck. Yes, you, you definitely want to avoid that situation. So you, uh, yeah, the removal heavy grindy matchups is not something that you want team or battle rage for. You really want it for the, um, like the uh, collect company decks of the world that are definitely running path to exiles, but um, are mostly just trying to chump block until they kill you. Um, or things like um, Valakut, who don't have answers to your creatures with high toughness. Right, and um, who you can't strip all of their threats away right. from because their lands are their threats. And another matchup where you just really need to kill them as quickly as you can. Right. Um, because Valakut's one of those decks that if it just like starts making all their land drops and gets a Valakut in play, you're just going to die to landfall triggers. Right. To um, two, usually, if you're playing Death Shadow. Right, yeah. Um, definitely, I've definitely had a lot of games where I stripped them all of their threats and... Just couldn't put the pressure on fast enough. Yep. Um, yeah, and then they got two Valkuts in play and made a land drop and then cast a ramp spell and I died. Yep. <laughs> right, you know. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, definitely a big fan of the team of Battle Rage out of Grixis. Um, I think that we're probably going to see that as a staple going forward. Um, I would expect, uh, as long as people will catch on and, and see that it's a really good tech. Um so definitely kudos to Dylan for introducing that to me before the before the weekend. Um, it worked out very well. Um, uh, next up on our modern deck list, we kind of see the what in my mind is like the second biggest boogeyman of um, modern. Definitely out of Eldrazi Tron. Um, Eldrazi Tron is a deck that has become very popular, and I think is just very very strong. Um, I've had a lot of people who weren't as quite as in tune to the modern metagame uh, come up to me and ask me, um, hey, what do you think about this Eldrazi Tron deck? Like, is it good? And my answer has often been, it might just be the best deck in modern right now. Sure. Um, uh, you know, we saw it win the Open that you top, you made finals of. Um, and a, a notably <laughs> terrible matchup for Living End. Right, right, yeah. Um, it just it just kind of has everything that you want um, out of a modern deck. It's got good disruption, it's got a fast clock, um, it's got uh, hate pieces, um, chal- it gets to play Chalice of the Void, which is very strong. Yeah, and um, it's, it's capable of running those four main deck Chalice of the Voids because against the deck's where you want to shut off their one-mana spells, you don't care about resolving any of your one-mana spells once right. you shut them yeah. down. Yeah, and it is it is kind of a strange to look at your deck and see, okay, we've got a Basilisk Collar, we've got four maps, we've got two Relics in the main, and we've got four Chalices in the main. But um, I think that it's it, you know it's definitely important to notice that um, the decks that you're resolving Chalice against uh, where it's going to be good is are just decks that... Um, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're like down another couple other cards or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like most of the Death Shadow decks kind of fold to a Chalice on one. Yes. Um, yeah. You kind of have to draw Cole against Command or else the vast majority of your deck is dead. Mm-hmm. And Gurmag Angler and Tassigar is not going to get it done against Reality Smasher, Endbringer, Karn Liberated. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so uh, I mean, uh, I think that people are pretty familiar with this deck so far. Uh, this deck. I'm not seeing too... Like, the, the numbers have kind of always changed around a little bit here. Um, we've got uh, two Karns in the main, and then the weird main deck numbers are uh, one All is Dust, two Relic of Progenitus, um, and one Basilisk Collar. Uh, everything else looks to be pretty straightforward. So I guess those are kind of your flex slots in that deck, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, the the Cavern of Souls, not, not a new thing. I mean, that... 
that started a couple of weeks ago, but but it's a really important part of the deck is, is the two Kavanaugh souls to get your guys around ceremonious rejection. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, I think that the the caverns are, are mainly an answer to this, the increase of ceremonious rejection that we've seen um, out of the, the Grixis decks. Um, so definitely good, 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 uh, good thought there for sure. Um, yeah, so just moving on into modern, um, we're probably not going to go too in depth into the all of the remaining lists, but we'll go ahead and list them out for yeah, you. Yeah, we'll spend just a couple of minutes total on the rest of the decks. Yeah, um, so we do have an Esper Death Shadow deck, um, which my team looked into a little bit. Um, so what what did you guys like conclude about that? Uh, so we this is actually um, kind of before the Invitational for one of the modern tournaments. We were looking at Esper Death Shadow. Um, as a potential option uh, against Grixis, because we thought that Lingering Souls was just better than Kologon's Command, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we could play Path to Exile instead of um, uh, the the Terminates and the Dismembers that we were playing earlier. Sure. Um, so we we just thought that we could just like make those swaps pretty easily, and um, and move on. But we kind of found that Lingering Souls just wasn't as good. In, it wasn't like the quote-unquote mirror breaker as it was um, back when Jun Death Shadow was the most popular Death Shadow deck. Okay. Um, because uh, the Jun Death Shadow deck really didn't have as many clean ways of answering the Lingering Souls. Mm-hmm. But now out of the um, the Grixis decks, we're seeing things like Anger of the Gods and um, uh, Is It Staticaster... And Liliana of the Last Hope as just like easy ways of cleaning up souls. Sure. So um, we Although kind of you, you can't really bring in Anger of the Gods against another Death Shadow deck. Do you think? Um, I mean, if I saw Lingering Souls, I probably would bring would. in one. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think mainly it's the Liliana of the Last Hope that kind yeah. of the the inclusion of that as like a two of in the sideboard um, that you're already bringing in in any Death Shadow matchup. Right. Um, is was kind of like the nail in the coffin for that one. So we decided to just go back to um, to Grixis, but uh, this you know uh, we do see this deck putting up a seven one record in modern here. Um, and I I will say that um, you know the the two black green based mid range decks that we looked at before and mm-hmm. and one that's that's a little farther down the list. You know they had they all have three or four Liliana of the Veil in them, and so if the format shifts such that there are a lot of Mid-range decks featuring Liliana of the Veil intending on preying on Death Shadow, mm-hmm. you know, Souls may be a, a good way to go. Yeah, right. I mean, I can definitely see a metagame where you just really want to be Esper uh, as opposed to Grixis. Sure. Like, I, you know, if, if if we're talking like three months from now, and uh, I, I could easily see us talking about how Esper Death Shadow is just the best one, right? Cool. Um, modern cyclical uh, things move around and shift and adapt. So, um, I could easily see this as kind of like a new iteration of, um, the best shadow deck. Um, the problem is I think that it might be, at least for now, a little too metagamed. Um, uh, Grixis is just stronger against the field, whereas, uh, this Esper deck is definitely stronger in the mirror with the Path to Exiles and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I think one of the dangers of, um, uh, the one of the dangers of modern particular is kind of metagaming too hard, um, where you're you're just gonna be playing a lot of matchups where um, uh, your lingering souls just aren't gonna do anything, whereas you would have much rather had like a Colgan's command or 
um, like Tomb of Outrage or something. And if the most popular deck is 15% of the field, and that's like, that's more than what the most popular deck usually represents in modern. Right, yeah, I think that, you know, um, deck percentages in modern aren't really getting much higher than uh, like 8 or 9, honestly. Yeah. Uh, like I think that, uh, you know, if we went to Goldfish right now and looked at the percentages of the modern metagame, uh, you know, I think Grixis Death Shadow, I guess, is at 12, which is very, very high for modern. But, um, you know, then the next size is 8 and 7 percentage. Like, you know, these percentages aren't very large. Yeah. So um, it's important to note that it's 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 good not to kind of, like, over-metagame uh, in modern in particular. Um, yeah, so then uh, we've got another Eldrazi Tron list from Jeremy Henry. Uh, he's actually a local here in North Carolina, so yeah. shout out to Jeremy. Yeah. Um, the uh, we've got another Grixis Shadow list. Um, we've got a uh, oh Sol Maka uh, put up some results in Modern with his black green mid range deck. Um, so uh, you know, it's so just good old fashioned rock. Right, right. <laughs> Jundar, Abzan, just the. The middle, the middle, like not not going either way with the I want fatal pushes or I want uh, uh, path to exile or I want terminate. Just sort of yeah, saying right. maelstrom pulse and abrupt decay are enough. Yeah, for sure. So just like definitely another rock deck that's probably very well positioned against the Death Shadow decks um, and just wants to really play some fair magic. Um, got some tireless trackers in the main. Got some eternal witness in the main. Um, yeah, just wants to grind people out. Right, and those Lilianas and those tireless trackers are pretty tough for. Again, Grixis Death Shadow to deal with. Right, for sure. Um, yeah. Affinity, always there. Uh, yeah, S-Man on ready. Affinity. Um, uh, just kind of an omnipresent element of modern. Uh, you know, just keep keep Ancient Grudge or something on the sideboard. <laughs> yeah. Um, another Eldrazi Tron. Uh, your favorite, uh, yeah. Living End deck. The Living End deck, featuring One Beast Within, which I... Uh, <laughs> Inspired by a PVDDR article, but uh-huh. I think I was the first major tournament result with, with the one beast within in the main yeah. deck. So. Yeah, so pretty sweet to see that kind of uh, moving forward uh, with, uh, with the hands of uh, Nicholas Spears. Um, and the one thing that I'll point out that he did is um, he's only on two Fulminator Mages at all. Um, he doesn't even have more to sideboard in. Uh, just went straight up on tons of cyclers, no Fairy Macabre's main deck. Um, Ley Lines of the Void in the sideboard. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's just very heavy on the one-mana cyclers. Uh, so, you know, taking your linear game plan on as straight a line as possible. In the- yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, uh, I uh, I mean, I definitely don't know as much about Living End as you do, but I'm definitely not as much of a fan of the decks that are running um, Archfiend of Depravity or whatever the... Uh, Ifnir. Archfiend of Ifnir. Archfiend of Ifnir. Um, I think it's just a little too slow and you don't really want to be playing that fair game. I so agree. I think you're just better off optimizing for your um, unfair strategy. And so. the the biggest knock against it that I found is the deck you most want, I guess besides Affinity kind of, um, I, I think it would help the Affinity matchup for those game ones where they have a Ravager and you don't have a Fairy Macabre to keep them from ignoring your living end Mm -hmm. um because then you could just wrath them after it but the deck other than that where you would most want it happens to have a creature that says minus one minus one counters can't be put on your creatures um oh yeah i didn't even think about it for sure that's definitely a weakness of the card yeah good old vizier um 
All right, and then we've got a red-green breach deck at seven and one. Um, and uh, one thing that I've been seeing out of a lot of these Valkyrie decks is um, uh, Wood Elves. Yeah. Um, I think that's uh, pretty pretty good tech here as kind of like the fifth Sakura Tri-Builder. Um, just a body that you can jump with that ramps you and progresses your game plan seems very strong. Sure. Um, but a, a kind of sweet addition here uh, looks like in this deck he's running one Woodfall Primus mm -hmm. in the main. Um, I guess just as another thing to breach through that is probably going to end the game. And um, it's probably not that rare that you can cast it either. Oh yeah, so. 8 mana is like not something that this deck has too much of a trouble getting to. Right. So, the deck is um, almost entirely lands. Right, yeah. Ramp spells and lands and threats is essentially the name of the game here. Um, this deck is a little more... It's trying to be a little faster uh, with 4 through the Breach and 4 Simeon Spirit Guides. Um, you're just trying to get a Titan into play as fast as you can. Um, right. It's a little bit of a hybrid. Like, yeah. like it, I think it learned some lessons from the, you know, the through the reach Gorios decks with that, you know, just throw those spirit guides in there. That one extra mana makes a difference. Right, right. Um, yeah. So pretty so, easy to turn three, you're through the breach. Um, I think turn three, yeah, well, potentially a turn three, you can, uh, you can suspend on turn one, you can cast a ramp spell on turn two. And then you've got, what, four to five land? Yeah, five well, lands well, on turn three? I mean, one ramp spell and one Simeon Spirit Guide gets you to the turn four, or to the to the turn three, right. through the breach. And yeah. that's pretty easy. Four Farseeks, four Sakura Shrive Elders, um, um, and the Search for Tomorrow, so... Right. And, uh, you know, and then you're dealing 18 damage on turn three. Yep. Which is pretty good. <laughs> Should probably get there. Right, yeah. Um, and you're also set up so the rest of your deck is lightning bolts at that point. Yes, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and then kind of the last list rounded out in Modern is um, kind of a flashback to uh, when Modern was a little broken. Uh, <laughs> Colorless Eldrazi. Um, you know, I first read the name of this list and was like, oh, uh, you know, um, Eldrazi not, Tron again. That's not what we call Eldrazi Tron. Yeah, but uh, yeah, this deck is not Tron at all. It's... Um, playing some some pretty sweet tech here uh for those of you who remember the old like kind of the the pro tour breakout deck um uh, colorless aldrazi that um kind of took the pro tour by storm and then ended up breaking modern for a couple months um uh this deck is very reminiscent of that it's got eldrazi mimics uh reshapers smashers thought not seers simian spirit guides to help uh kind of um, ramp those out a little bit. It's really only missing the endless ones. Uh, right, yeah. Um, and then kind of an, a sweet package that this is running is uh, it's got four serum powder. Right. Um, and the serum powder kind of just acts as... it. So this deck is pretty reliant on getting Eldrazi Temple down. Right. Um, so I think that the serum the idea of the serum powders, from what I imagine, uh, is... Um, uh, you're really trying to mulligan into a hand with Eldrazi Temple. Yep. Um, and ideally a Simian Spirit Guide so that you can really ramp things out as fast as you can. Um, playing an early Thought Not Seer is one of the more powerful things that you can do in um, yeah. in Modern. Turn 2 Thought Not Seer is very different from Turn 3 Thought Not Seer. Yes, for sure. Um, so, uh, so definitely kind of an interesting angle on that. It's running the Four Chalice of the Void, so it, I'm sure it gets a lot of wins that way. 
where it's just disrupting your opponent and then closing out the game very quickly with smashers and thought seers and stuff. Um, but yeah, he's also running four Eternal Scourge um, as kind of like a sweet package with serum powder <laughs> and uh, uh, and just like another another threat for, they can play For those early. of you who don't know what serum powder does, yes, because um, I, I I wouldn't blame you. So it's a rare from Dark Steel. Uh, yes. Um, it's uh, anytime you could mulligan uh, and serum powder is in your hand you can remove your hand from the game exile it essentially and then draw that many cards so, so during your mulligan process you actually can use this card to um, essentially take a free mulligan if, if you if you want to mulligan your hand and you have a serum powder in your hand you can just exile all those cards and then uh, draw a new hand essentially so eternal scourge is really cute with that and obviously it worked out. I'm wondering if that's more cute than... Because drawing Eternal Scourges definitely does not seem like the the greatest thing in the world. Uh, right. I mean, you know, if you're running Eldrazi Temples, it's just like another threat that you can get down slightly or earlier than normal. But right. yeah, definitely not really but what you want to be doing. A 2-mana 3-3 three, three isn't modern playable. So um, Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so... Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, it definitely works well with like more of a grindy game plan if that's what you think your deck's going to come down to with, sure. um, uh, you know, maybe some control decks or something where you just have infinite eternal scourges. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, shout out to uh, Jordan Boisver. Boris Boisver. Oh man, I feel bad. I'm sorry, <laughs> man. Sweet deck though. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, so that kind of rounds out things for modern. Um, and we probably, we probably spent a little too much time talking about Modern, but a lot of these decks are pretty sweet. Um, we'll talk about Standard, but probably not at too much length, because we're about to get a new set, which is yeah, um, going to change Standard a lot more than it'll change Modern. I think that we can definitely take more of an overview approach on Standard, because, yes, you're right, Standard's about to change, um, so we're about to see some, some new stuff kind of come in. Um, but uh, I think there are definitely some interesting stories that go along with yeah. um, kind of how Standard has uh, shaken up. I think the um, big story from this tournament is the the emergence of the Monument decks. Yes. Um, yeah, so the, uh, the White Monument, uh, Oketra's Monument, um, it's essentially a three-mana artifact says white creatures you, cost, you cast cost one less to cast, and whenever you cast a creature spell... You create a one-one white warrior with uh, vigilance, and I, I've been grinding with this deck on on Magic Online a fair bit, like very consistently getting four-one finishes. Yeah, um, um, right. So this deck is actually one of the things that um, people were excited to play after the banning of um, uh, Marvel. Right. Because um, you where... certainly can't grind with one ones. <laughs> yeah, against Ulamog. But... Right. Um, yeah, so uh, essentially the premise of the deck is you get this Soulcatcher's Monument, you play a bunch of cheap white creatures, um, and a uh, common play pattern out, actually out of this deck is to, uh, you can like have things in your hand like Self Spirit and Draven Inspector, um, but just like not really want to cast them until after you've played your Catcher's Monument. Right. And then on turn five, four... Um, you just dump your hand, play like four dudes, and then create eight creatures. Right. Which for a lot of decks is pretty impossible to punch through on the ground. Yeah, Bristling Hydra has never looked like more of a, a like a draft <laughs> chaff common than than after a, the 
the post Ocatra's monument turn. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, a lot of times you can just dump your hand on the board uh, with these mono white uh, monument decks, and then uh, essentially uh, transfer that into a win either just by like you know creaturing your opponent out, or um, a lot of these decks are playing militia captains to make one really big guy and then make even more dudes. Um, uh, so uh, this deck was actually, uh, or at least an iteration of this deck, is one of the ones that um, my team was very excited about for Standard. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the the only person on my team that actually ended up pulling the trigger and playing the deck was uh, Zan Syed. Yep. Um, and how, how did he? How did he do with your build? Um, I think that he put up a solid finish in um, the. Sunday Classic, okay. kind of after the Invitational. Um, but he, he did end up uh, cashing the Invitational with um, uh, with this deck, for sure. So um, And yours was a little so saucier we, than some of the yeah, other had Yeah, we had a kind of an interesting tech. Um, and, the, you know, uh, props goes to Zan for coming up with this, is that Zan looked at the early iterations of Mono White Monument and kind of wanted something to go over the top a little bit. Mm -hmm. So he threw in... Um, a Thalia's Lancers package to this deck. Um, and for those of you who aren't aware of what Thalia's Lancers does, it's a 5-mana 4-4 First Striker that enters the battlefield and then allows you to search your library for a uh, legendary permanent. And Which includes Oketra's Monument. And, yeah, so kind of what that does is that it lets you play a few extra copies of Oketra's Monument. You're still playing the 4 in the main, but you kind of have the ability to search for them with um, your Thalia's Lancers. Mm -hmm. um, he also had a Bruna and a Gisela in his deck. Right. Um, just as kind of like another thing that he could tutor for. Um, he's playing a main deck Sky Sovereign, mm -hmm. um, another legendary permanent you can search for. So definitely a very, I think a very powerful uh, package that you can also run in this, uh, this deck to kind of allow you to go over the top a little bit. Yeah. And I, I think the deck is pretty adaptable you know it started out the the very early build had things like glorybound initiate in them um mm -hmm. i know some of the builds still still do and and it can be right more as a i would like to gain some life to help me keep up and grind but it's not a white weenie deck even though the creatures really look like it is it's a very very grindy mid-range deck and mm -hmm. because of that um you know a lot of the slots can be pretty flexible as long as you're sort of aware of the philosophy of your deck and what you're trying to do right yeah um, so, yeah, I mean, looking over the 7-1 deck list in Standard, uh, we definitely see um, a bunch of these monument decks. Uh, Todd Anderson made uh, Top 8 with a blue-white monument deck, um, so the inclusion there being Cloudblazer and uh, Spellqueller as additional creatures that um, kind of fit in the game plan a little bit and are white creatures that get cheaper with Ocatcher's Monument. Yeah, and I'm a little fascinated by the the access to zero Archangel Avisons in the 75. Um, yeah. You know, playing the mono-white versions, uh, it, it, it's just been kind of the most remarkable card in the deck. It costs four mana, brings right. down two indestructible blockers. I think that the reason it's not in the blue decks is because you sometimes have a hard time of controlling when it flips, and if you've got a spell caller in play and your Avison eats your own spell caller, that can... Often, yeah, often be pretty be bad. deadly. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that you're definitely right in the sense that um, 
sometimes Avacyn is more of a hindrance than it is a positive. Right. Like, you can definitely have the games where Avacyn's just insane and, like, eats a glory bringer or something. But I think a lot of the time, you know, if your opponent can just, like, pick off one of your creatures mm-hmm. and then flip Avacyn, you're, you are playing all of these, like, dudes... Um, and Avacyn can sometimes just like really go against that game plan and uh, a skilled opponent will be able to sculpt a plan where your Avacyn flips and eats your board and then kind of minimizes theirs. I have found that, and that has happened to me personally a few times playing online, uh, my feeling after most of those occasions was, number one, the times when Avacyn was good uh, outweighs those occasions a lot because uh, a lot of times you draw Avacyn, you tap four lands, and your opponent scoops. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. And and that's worth it. <laughs> also, a lot of times when they wrapped my board with with my own Avacyn, it was because I had made a mistake. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You just like don't want to be putting yourself in that position. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's a tough. It can be a tough card to play with in certain situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in other situations, they shrug their shoulders, have to cast their glory bringer, have to attack into your open mana, and and you just you feel like a world champion. At that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, so just kind of going through, we've got, um, uh, Todd Anderson with the blue-white monument deck, um, Matthew Voltz with the mono-white version of the deck, um, uh, Jerry Thompson with the blue-white version of the deck, um, Shane Blake with the mono-white version of the deck. These are all 7-1 invitational deck lists that we're reading off of. So, um, I mean, this deck definitely put up its results. Um, so, uh, you know. Most of the other decks are relatively, you know, they're not surprises. There's some blue-red control, um, which is which can be a tough matchup for the Monument deck, depending on your build. Although, um, it's actually a really hard matchup to play from the mono-white side, which is very weird. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I, I've had some success with the uh, not playing any threats that cost you a card. If you get a hand that's like... Three bin inspectors and aviary mechanics, and you just use those to keep your hand at about seven cards. Mm-hmm, force mm-hmm. them to deal with your three or four power on the table, and then try to go off. Um, but usually a very tough matchup. Um, and the more sure. the more monument we see, I think the more blue red control we will see, especially yeah. because of hour of devastation, specifically the card hour of devastation, which is really brutal right, in that right. matchup. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where control goes from here. Um, the uh, it, it looks like Hour of Devastation, the set, has a lot of pieces that Control is really looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, Hour of Devastation, the card, um, is definitely one of those pieces that uh, seems like it is very, very bad for the mono-white decks. Um, because uh, your Selfless Spirits now don't help you, your Avacyn now doesn't help right. you with the sweeper effects. Um, so your go-wide game plan is much less effective. Um, yeah, I would say... Your Gideons aren't going to help you because oh. Gideon is just going to die <laughs> to your station, Right. Um, I, I would say that that card is unbelievably bad for the all of these monument decks mm-hmm. a, as built. Um, if there were a you know, kind of taller build of it, perhaps right. using cards like Thalia's yeah. Lancers, that may be the, the response to heavy Yeah, potentially, right, potentially Thalia's Lancers just, like, allows you to have that value game to mm-hmm. kind of stay in it, um, but, um, against control decks in particular, unless it's, like, a tap-out control deck, um, it's gonna be hard to resolve those spells. True. Um, so, I think maybe the evolution 
uh, or the answer to that in particular is going to be these blue versions of the Monument deck. Um, being able to play things that A, get you card advantage like Cloudblazer, um, but B, also disrupt what your opponent's trying to do with like spell colors and uh, counter spells. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, uh, our Devastation can still get negated just like any other sweeper yep. right now. So yep. uh, uh, it seems like that would be um, kind of a good place to go to from, from that perspective. Um, looking forward to uh, the new set coming out and mixing things up a little bit. So, of course, we see the standards of Teamer Energy, Green Black Energy, that sort of thing. What I, the one list that I really would like to talk about is I'd, I'd like to talk about, I think it's the last one listed here, and I think, <laughs> I think you may have been caught by this one. If you want to oh, tell us how you were introduced to this deck. Yeah, so... Um, uh, Did you play against Michael? Yes. Okay. Um, so, going uh, a little more about my story, The Invitational, uh, I was... Uh, I snuck into day through day two at five and three, crushed it all day long. Um, Forward modern the next day, so feeling good. Life or top eight going in the last four rounds of standard, and standard is my favorite format. Um, I think that it's my best format um, and the one that I I feel like I know very well. Um, yeah, so, you don't tend to be surprised by much in standard, right? Yeah, I I, I, I would believe that I don't tend to be surprised by too much in standard. Um, but man, uh, so. We start. I play the first round of standard in day two, playing against uh, Michael Strian, Strianese. I'm I'm butchering your last name. I'm sorry, but um, uh, this is another one of these cool deck feeling cool situations. Right. Yeah, feeling uh, feeling pretty excited about starting out standard. Um, I sit down across from my opponent. He tells me how excited he is to play standard, and I'm like, sweet, uh, same. Uh, I'm looking forward to this match, right? Um, and his first couple turns kind of lead off um, like a normal Teamer Energy deck. Like Teamer Energy is a deck I've played a lot of, um, very uh, experienced with that deck. I am playing with Green Black Energy, um, so it's a pretty close matchup. But I feel pretty favored, and I feel like I know the matchup and what's important and all the things that I need to be doing. Right. The the um, range of things that Teamer Energy can do to you is pretty defined. Right. Yeah. Um, for sure. So. Uh, not really expecting anything out of the blue. Teamer lands. His first couple turns are Long Test Cub, which I think I fatal pushed, and then he followed up with the Servant of the Conduit, um, and then he played a Bristling Hydra. And all the time, you know, for the first couple of games on my end, I'm progressing my board. I've played a two drop, I fatal pushed this guy, I played another two drop. Um, and then it gets to his turn five, and he attacks in with his Bristling Hydra. And I've got a two three snake and like a two one. Um, dork back to block um, if I want to, but he's got six energy, so he can pump up to five toughness. So I'm not gonna just gonna I'm tapped out. I'm not just gonna bend my guys. So mm-hmm. I just d- decide to take the hit. Um, so I declare no blocks, and he thinks for a second, and he goes, blossoming defense, blossoming defense, pump it twice with a six energy, deal you ten damage, fling my ten power of Hydra for twenty. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Whoa! Okay. Uh, wasn't expecting that, but uh, th- there it was, I guess. Um, yeah, so I got got. Uh, yep. That match was not close. I He just completely destroyed me with some bristling hydras. Um, I knew he had pummelers in his deck after game one, but uh, I don't think he played any against me in the match. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, 
this deck was is something else. Yep. It's uh it's very sweet. I'm just kind of looking over the deck list now. He ended up um uh making top eight of the invitational, top four even. Um and uh I think he had a very successful I, I don't know if he was eight oh or seven one with this deck, but um it's essentially a teamer pummeler deck. It's got four electrostatic pummelers. I um, I would not go so far as to say it's a teamer. Well, deck. yeah, they might not be a teamer deck. Um, I, I think it just speaks to the incredible power of the green energy decks at being able to make whatever color of mana they they could ever right, want. Right. Yeah. The teamer mana base is very good, um, but we'll see. In his main deck, he's got no blue spells. Right. Um, he's he's only got the blue sideboards cards here. Um, he's got in the sideboard two Whirler Virtuoso, two Negates, um, and then some Radiant Flames, uh, kind of like as pseudo blue cards. Um, so he, he like definitely has a blue mana base. I guess the only blue that he really needs <laughs> is to activate his Lumbering Falls yes. as a one <laughs> in the main deck. Um, so uh, yeah, so uh, looking at this deck, very sweet. He's got a Samut in the main. He's got two Ronus. Three Brawler, three Cub, four Servant, two Bristling Hydra, four Pummeler. Um, and then the Spell Suite is very interesting. Um, four Blossoming Defense, two Fling, three Harness Lightning, four Invigorated Rampage. Which is the uh, the instant uh, from Ether Revolt that, that you can either pump two guys plus two plus O or one guy plus four plus O and they right. can trample. And yeah, trample, keyword being important. Yeah, sure. very important. Um, in, in the Pummeler decks is you really want to give your guy trample. Yeah, this is the teamer battle rage of the deck, really. <laughs> yes, essentially. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, well done to Michael. I, I know that he won out the last couple rounds of Standard to top eight the event. Um, so... Uh, good job and, and sweet deck. <laughs> yeah, and and you know this is, I, I mean standard is for at least a little bit. I mean maybe not after our de- devastation, but certainly at the moment, like standard is a little bit warped by the presence of the monument decks, uh, especially online where it's a relatively cheap deck, so you see it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having access to these this trample stuff uh, to fling, um, no matter how much they clog up the board with one ones, if you make a 14 power trampler and then fling it right. at them, it's probably going to kill them. Or, you know, like an 80 power trampler. Or, you know, <laughs> you know whatever. <laughs> Electrostatic pummeler is a very silly card sometimes. Yes, right, right. Um, yeah, pummeler gets real big, for sure. Um, so, yeah. Um, just kind of going over, there were definitely a lot of teamer energy decks that made, that were successful in the Invitational. Um, Corey McDuffie uh, played Green Black Energy, uh, which is very similar to my list. Um, some Mardu decks. My teammate Dylan Donegan ended up going 7-1 with Mardu vehicles. Um, and uh, so uh, I think the, the Teamer Energy decks and the Mono White Monument decks and the Blue White Monument decks and then like a touch of some other stuff were definitely like the big uh, storylines for... Um, for standard for this event. Sure. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, so uh, I do want to just talk a little bit more about standard and say that uh, standard right now is, uh, I think, very good. Yeah, it's great, right? Um, yeah, standard went through kind of a long time where everybody was kind of hating on it. Like, uh, standard was, like, too expensive or uh, back when Fetchlands were a thing or there were only one deck that you could play in standard mm-hmm. back when there was... Um, like Marvel or before that, um, Copycat, um, or when Emrakul was legal, or when Emrakul was legal, only one like, end game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, standard like you know uh, was definitely in some uh, rough shape uh, leading up to this, but I think after the 
banning of um, uh, the Marvel decks, Standard really opened up into like a really diverse um, like four to five deck metagame, mm-hmm. which I think is where you kind of want it for Standard. Yeah. Um, Standard's never really you're never really gonna have like a modern level of number of decks in Standard just because the card pool is lower. But um, uh, I was talking to all my teammates about Standard and. Um, uh, my team played, uh, I want to say, three different decks between in how standard? many people? Between seven people. Yep. And um, and none of us really felt bad about our choice or our teammates' choice. Right. Um, we were playing Mardu Vehicles, uh, Green Black Energy, and um, the Mono White Monument deck. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they were all just great choices for yeah. the tournament. And I think even after the weekend, looking back um, at the deck, you 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 don't. You can't look at any of those and say, you know what, that was a bad choice. Right, yeah. Um, and I think that that is just very indicative of just a, a great format. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, And the games are fun. Yeah, and the games are like super interactive and um, there's, there's removal a lot spells of decisions right. to make. Uh, you know, enough removal spells where you don't just get, you crumble to some stuff. Um, uh, yeah, so... Boards sometimes get clogged, but... Uh, and I actually that that happens with a with relative frequency. Yeah, um, I, I saw mean, a lot know. of clogged boards, but they were also clogged by creatures with interesting abilities that at some right. point somebody was going to break through. Um, yeah, and I think that that's also like board stalls are kind of just like something that happens in standard. Yeah, um, you know, at at least we're not in like some form of like. Uh, um, uh, green white devotion board stalls where people are let it, like I mean I know that right. there are some matchups right now in standard that where that happens there's like the mono white versus the um, uh, the Abzan um, aristocrats deck or whatever it's right anointed procession yeah the anointed procession decks like sometimes those matchups can get like super stally and crazy but they can but eventually somebody flips a Normandal <laughs> right yeah. Although, you know, that, that anointed or possession Or both deck. players right. flip an Ormond doll. Flip <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So, yeah. So, I just, I just, I do want to point out that I think Standard's just in a really great spot at the moment. I agree. Um, and, I'm, you know, I'm definitely interested to see uh, where Hour of Devastation takes things. Um, so, why don't, we, uh, why don't we talk about that? Yeah. Uh, I guess that's a good transition over to uh, the, the next topic that we can talk about is, uh, yeah, Hour of Devastation. Um, the, um, kind of some, some overall thoughts that I've heard about the set is that there's nothing like too busted. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, like the last couple of sets that have come out have just definitely landed some haymakers on us with, um, the CD Rye combo and, um, uh, the, uh, that thing that just got banned. Well, Marvel, <laughs> Marvel right, deck right. that I can never remember the name of. Um, I think the problem for me when talking about decks was that the two decks in the format were Marvel and Mardu, and I, yeah, I tripped over that right. a lot. Yeah, that one's trippy for sure. Um, yeah, but this set, um, it doesn't look... It looks like the best card in the set from what I've seen is uh, the namesake of the set, I guess, Hour of Devastation. Right, and when the best um, card in the set is a Wrath of God... Probably nobody's doing too much broken stuff. Yeah, right, for sure. And, you know, maybe we're missing something here, but it looks like um, uh, this 
the set it looks pretty good for the future of standard honestly um nothing's like too crazy broken there there don't seem to be any crazy combos that people have found out yet um you know maybe exist and we're just not seeing them but i mean i guess the fear is that you know very few of these cards might break into standard and we won't right. see much change but because we feel pretty good about standard yeah. where it's at right now, I w- honestly I wouldn't be too set, too upset about yeah. that. Um, like if if the if the answer to this new format is like um, now there's a tap out control deck, yep, and we still get to play all these other decks, great, I'm in. Um, yeah. and, and that's that's kind of what I think we may be seeing with Hour of Devastation that really gives a, a catch up mechanic to to a red something control deck that that may let it. You know, not have to hold up counter spells for the entirety mm-hmm. of the game the way the right. current blue red decks do. Yeah. Um, one one thing that I think is kind of cool, and this may be completely a trap, um, because um, and I'm I'm trying to uh, remember ruin in their wake. Is that what it's called? Yes. The, uh, the, uh, mm, no. Mm, the the bad Eldrazi rampant growth. Um, yes, ruin in their wake. Right. Um, yeah. Um, so, so I think this card might be a total trap. <laughs> but one very cool thing is that um, both Attune and Traverse turn on both Ruin in their wake and Corrupted Graphstone. So yes. So you could potentially build a very yeah. consistent green something rampy tap-out deck that mm-hmm. catches up with, uh, with cards like Hour of Devastation and yeah. then goes up relatively quickly to um, something like Worldbreaker or even to Ulamog with the new uh, ramp spell from Hour of Devastation. Yeah, um, Hour of Promise. Hour of Promise. I was looking at that as well. Um, yeah, so Hour of Promise is a is a pretty sweet ramp spell. Uh, it's five mana, so you're it's not like uh, the most efficient ramp spell, but it's very powerful in the sense that it's kind of like a, um, a slightly more expensive uh, explosive vegetation. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, so, yeah, why don't we just read the text? Yeah, so, um, Our, De- Our Promise states, uh, it says, Search your library for up to two lands and put them on the battlefield tapped. Uh, then shuffle your library. It's five mana, um, and, uh, then if you control three or more deserts, uh, create two, two, two black zombie creature tokens. So it, it actually um, kind of feels a little bit like Primeval Titan to me. Uh... Yeah. If, yeah, potentially. If, if you're sure. such that, I mean, usually, you know, if you're getting two, um, uh, two of the temples, um, right. So yeah, that then is you're one not of the things that I wanted to point out is you're, that you're not getting zombies that way. But right. Um, so yeah, you. I I don't know how often this second text is going to come up. Right. Um, it, it, at least in standard, I think that the decks that you're playing this card in standard are going to care more about things like. Um, the uh, Temple of the Forsaken Gods. Temple of the Forsaken Gods to cast a, a very early Ulamog. Mm-hmm. Because this ramps straight into... Yeah, it's um, beautiful. Straight into Ulamog, if you want it to. Yep. Um, Just make a land drop the turn after, and you're at 10 Eldrazi mana. Right. Um, yeah, so... And I... I, uh, I just don't know if there are any great deserts that you're going to want to be playing. Um, so the only thing I was thinking is... If this were... If this deck sort of bridged the gap mm-hmm. by playing Thought Not Seer and was interested in that, right? Then um, the desert that taps for a green, the you know you pay a life 
to uh, add a green. Uh, it can also add a colorless, and then it's got a sacrifice a desert class. But mostly you care about the fact that it is a desert, it can make green mana, it can make colorless, and it comes into play untapped. Right. And so what that would do for you, I, I think, is if you draw one of them, one of your deserts naturally over the course of the game, mm-hmm. and anytime you have to Hour of Promise, but either you don't have an Ulamog in hand, or right. or you know it's late in the game and you already have a lot of mana, right. then your ramp spell isn't dead because at least it's going to make you two two twos. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an excellent point. Um, is that like uh, just the fact that that has that has that text on it mm-hmm. just means that. Um, uh, one of the problems that ramp decks have is flooding, and I think that that mitigates that a little bit because, like you know, this maybe the second one that you cast, or if you've already ramped up to the lands that you need, you can just get some deserts and get some zombies, and then your spell is actually a spell and not just um, right. extra land drops or whatever. And there are some kind of value deserts in the set potentially. I mean, hostile desert is probably going to be really tough to make work in standard. This is this is the the man land desert that you pay two and uh, exile a land from your graveyard to make it a 3-4. Right, right, yeah. It's just not not really any great ways of putting lands in your graveyard in standard, right. I don't think. Um, and in, in modern, the best way of putting lands in your graveyard is with fetch lands, but any fetch land deck is probably not, not, not looking for a colorless land. Not looking land. for a colorless land, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so I don't, I don't know how many deserts we're going to want. Right. Especially if we have things like wastes in our deck to turn on Rune in the Wake. Yeah. Or something like that. And that's, so. that's definitely a tension there in this particular, right. you know, crazy dream of a ramp deck. <laughs> right, yeah. But, I mean, I can definitely see, moving forward, seeing some sort of Hour of Devastation, Hour of Promise, Green-Red ramp deck playing things like World Breaker, Ulamog, mm-hmm. potentially Thought Not Seer. Um, uh, so, yeah, like, pretty excited about that archetype kind of opening up a little bit. Yep. Um, uh, I know that people were kind of playing a little bit with some uh, Ulamog ramp decks, particularly Aliantrazi, just mm-hmm. can't put down Ulamog. <laughs> so, um, I know that he was messing around with some, some ramp strategies for Standard. So, I'll be interested to see where those players take things with, uh, with these new, yeah. new cards, for sure. Um. So what other interesting cards should we talk about? Um, the the ones with standard application, uh, I think Nicol Bolas, if people want to play some sort of Grixis tap-out control deck, I think sure. Nicol Bolas just kind of fits right into that. Um, and that's, you're absolutely going to have Hour of Devastation in any deck that wants to get up to Nicol right. Bolas, almost yeah, certainly. for sure. Um, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of these cards will, will find their way into standard, but... Um, it doesn't look like a ton of these have too much standard application. Um, uh, one card that has application outside of standard, however, mm-hmm. is uh, that I'm actually very excited about is uh, Claim. Claim to Fame. Yeah, why don't you um, read that? So Claim to Fame is a Aftermath card. Uh, the front side of it is a single black uh, return target creature card from with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Uh, and then Fame is Aftermath uh, for one and a red. Uh, target creature gets plus two, plus zero, oh, and gains haste until it turn. And so this is specifically for Grixis Death Shadow. Right. So this, um, I feel like, slots right into Grixis Death Shadow um, in a pretty huge way, honestly. 
And so a lot um, of people have been saying this, and there's been some like arguing back and forth about it, but you've played a ton of Grixis Death Shadow, so... Yeah, I've, I've played a lot of Grixis Death Shadow. I've been talking about this card in particular with a lot of other Grixis Death Shadow players, uh, Dylan Donegan in particular, um, and we think that this card has potential to just be very busted in that deck. Okay. Um, because not only do you, can you hit Death Shadows, mm -hmm. but you can also hit Snapcaster Mage. Yeah. Um... So, uh, just like trying to think through play patterns with this card in your deck, um, I think that this might just re simply replace Golgan's Command as like your grindy card in that matchup. Okay. Because uh, late, you'll you'll notice playing uh, Death Shadow that your graveyard just like fills up very quickly, um, and you just kind of like have stuff in there with uh, things like Thought Scour or you know just playing the game normally and, mm -hmm. and things go to the graveyard. Um, so, uh, if you top deck this, like, in a grindy matchup or something, um, it just kind of is whatever you want it to be. Mm -hmm. You can claim a Snapcaster Mage to hit a removal spell, you can claim a, uh, Death Shadow for another threat, and even potentially give it haste, mm -hmm. which is huge. Um, like, in the, in the mirror in particular, if you can just, like, top deck this as, like, a hasty Death Shadow, your opponent's just probably gonna die a lot of the percentage of the time, um, which is crazy. Um, you can, uh, if you're looking for a threat and you draw a Snapcaster Mage and this is in your graveyard, you can Snap Claim a Death Shadow. Mm -hmm. um, so just like infinite utility with this card Yeah. Um, that seems fairly strong. Um, I don't know if it'll be a 4 of, but uh, definitely something to look into. Maybe it is just 4 of and it's just insane. But, um, but it is a card that doesn't work on, you know, Turn one, two, or it's, three. Right, it's not something you want in your opening hand. Right. So I, I don't really think that it's going to be like a four or anything, but uh, it seems like it has a lot of potential to fit into Crixus Death Shadow in particular. Yeah. Um, with the Snapcaster Mages and the Thought Scours, and um, uh, just like as another thing that you. Uh, gives you that late game that right. we're kind of leading on right now with Liliana's and. And, uh, and it just gives you so many game. options because there's, you know, you effectively, if you have a Death Shadow. And a Snapcaster in your, your, your graveyard claim effectively gives you any card in your graveyard that you want. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's just it, you're you know if if your graveyard is full enough, you're just top decking demonic tutor. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, no, legitimately, it's demonic tutor at that right. point. Yeah. Because you can uh, like if you need threats at that point, you can uh, claim your snap snap the claim that you've just that you've just put in your graveyard to get your death shadow back. Right. The one. I think really legitimate uh, criticism and kind of open question for claim is um, people are already bringing in their rest in pieces and other graveyard hate against you. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think maybe it's just a matter of being aware of how likely your graveyard is to get completely, you know, destroyed. Um, right. Because this doubles, doubles down on that weakness of the deck. The deck... At, at, at present is not that exploitable by sideboard cards. Like, getting your graveyard removed hurts. It makes a lot of your cards worse, but a lot of your cards still function right. at full yeah. power. This one does not. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, the deck still has a lot of potential to just kill somebody with Death Shadows if they play Rest in Peace. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I, I played a lot of games like that where my opponent, like, kept a kind of medium hand because they had the Rest in Peace, slammed it, and then I just played 
two death shadows on turn two, and they died. Right. Uh, right. So, but, but um, if it, you know, in this hypothetical new 75, right. if instead of one of your real cards, after they slam rest in peace, you draw a claim to fame, which yeah. is functionally blank at that point. Yes, for sure. Um, yeah, so I think uh, the consideration that that has probably more has to do with how you sideboard. Yeah. Like, if you're playing against a deck that you believe is going to either bring in Leyline of the Voids or Rest in Peace or just something that would completely blank this card, just board it out. Yeah. Um, but it is, you know, it's taking one of the this is my grindy card slots in your 75. Yeah. And so, I, you know, obviously it comes down to what do we need in each matchup? What are our board plans? Can we afford to have this card? You know, if there's a grindy deck that also sides in rest in pieces against you, can you, you know, are you, are you do you suddenly only have 58 cards that you want to play against right. them? Right, for sure. Um, yeah, so, I mean, uh, I don't really know any of the answers to these questions quite yet. Sure. But very excited to test it out. Definitely. Um, yeah. Um, one other very silly thing that I wanted to mention about Standard uh, is God Pharaoh's Gift. Which, uh, yeah. <laughs> so this is seven mana artifact. Uh, uh, at the beginning of combat on your turn, uh, you can return... Or you can eternalize a creature in your graveyard, basically. Take any creature in your graveyard, make a copy of it that's mm -hmm. a token. Uh, that's a 4-4 four, four instead of its regular power and toughness. Give it haste. I was not excited about this card at all. Um, still not excited about this card. Okay. But the one reason I see that it might have application is with uh, Combat Celebrant, uh, I believe is the name of the card. It's okay. the, the Exert guy. The 4-1? Four, the 4-1. Four, okay. Because... Uh, not only does he give you extra combat phases, but extra combat phases give you extra tokens. So if you uh, eternalize combat celebrant, exert it, then you get another combat phase, God Pharaoh's Gift gives you another guy, so you can kind of chain guys. And so that is, I think, a legitimate payoff <laughs> for getting this very silly 7-mana artifact in yeah, play, yeah. which is a little bit easier to get into play because of um, the another silly artifact, the... Uh, um, Gate to the Afterlife. Oh, yeah. yeah. So this God Pharaoh's Gift actually only costs 5 mana mm. if you have 6 creature cards in your graveyard. We have some tools in blue to make that possible to happen. We finally have strategic planning in Standard, which I'm legitimately excited about. Right, right. Um, so, th so that was a, a Portal 3 Kingdoms card, 1 in the blue, Sorcery. Look at the top 3 cards of your library, put 1 in your hand and the rest in your graveyard. Um, we got this cool looting guy in Champion of Wits, which is a, a two-dub, two-one. When it comes into play, draw cards equal to its power and then discard two cards, and it's got Eternalize of seven mana. So while I don't know that this ever ends up being a tier one deck, I think <laughs> there are some really interesting, powerful tools here. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and it's really just the fact that you know, if things work out, you get multiple triggers of the God Pharaoh's Gift on the turn that it comes into play. Um, you know, depending on how stuff shakes out, that could be very powerful against, you know, against something like Blue-Red Control, you can resolve that Gate to the Afterlife very early in the game, Yeah. and then what are they... You just have a high level of inevitability against them. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, definitely some, some interesting things for Brewers to take a look at. Yeah. Um, Hollow you know, One is another I was actually, card. I was actually just about to bring up Hollow One. Um, what do you think about Hollow One in uh, um, uh, Living End? Oh, in Living End, yeah. So Hollow One is 5 mana, 4-4, uh, four, four, artifact creature golem. 
Uh, it's got cycling of two, and it costs you two less to cast for each card that you've uh, discarded this turn. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I've definitely heard it talked about in Living End. I This is the kind of card where I cannot predict if it would be good or not without trying it. Uh -huh. Yeah, of um, course. It, it just... Just it, looking at some of the play patterns with it, you um, can potentially... Uh, like, I don't know how realistic this is, because mm -hmm. I've never really played too much of Living End, but... Um, just kind of like trying to imagine some play patterns with this. You can cycle it, sure, which is great. Put it in your graveyard, living in the back for two mana. Yeah. Um, or uh, if you like need to get a body down on turn three, uh, you can cycle three cards and then play it for free. Um, or you can cycle two cards and play it for one mana. Yep. Um, Street Wraith is very very good with Hollow One. Oh okay, yeah, that's for one sure. of your cyclers. Right. Then you're you you are really kind of doing it. I think my like initial like yeah thinking through those play patterns with mm -hmm. it is it's probably actively good in any hand with a street wraith in it, mm -hmm. and pretty clunky in any hand without a street wraith in it. Gotcha. Um, okay. Just and, and actively good if you're playing a matchup. And, and see, this is actually a dimension that I I like to add to the deck is being able to put out a threat so they have to do something about it. Right. One of the one of the lines that happens a lot with Living End is um, and it looks really awkward, but it's actually something that I like intentionally choose to do a lot, which is early start attacking them with a Fulminator Mage and maybe a Simeon Spirit Guide. Um, you've sort of like traded resources early on, like maybe they've you know hit you with a discard spell or two. Um, you might have it, like, the games with Living End sometimes go on way longer than you would expect or hope that they would. Mm. Putting out a threat to force them to respond and then open up a window for you to cast that Living End right. um, can, can now, be Now, really are these powerful. the matchups where that are, like, blue matchups where you're worried about counterspells or something? Yeah, and it may actually be a sideboard card for the blue matchups or something like that. Yeah. Um, or maybe it's good enough in the main deck... You know, it's medium against the other decks, but actively good against the blue decks, and that's enough that you want it in your starting 60. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I was just looking at this card, and uh, that thought through went through my mind of, like, maybe living end, I, but I don't know, really. Yeah, maybe. Um, I'm, it's definitely, I'm definitely going to try it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely one of those, like, you know, early format things to test out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We'll, we'll write a bunch of hollow ones on the back of some cards and jam or yes. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. You know. um, yeah. Um, as far as the new set, um, uh, we got the gods. Uh, they look pretty powerful, but I just, I don't really see these, you know, the big, like, five to six mana dudes don't normally have too much of an impact on standard, I don't think. Sure. Um uh, you know, maybe they're pushed enough. The Scarab God seems pretty good in some sort of zombies deck. Um, if you can never get that upkeep trigger, your opponent's probably just gonna die. Um, right, right. <laughs> but um, uh, Crested Sunmare is another thing that I was looking at, but um, uh, I just have no idea what that shell would look like, just no. like as some sort of life gain. Um, there, there are two unfortunate things about Crested Sunmare. Crested Sunmare is uh, three dub dub. For a 5-5, five, five, uh, other horses, it's a horse, importantly. Uh, other yeah. horses you control are indestructible. At the beginning of each end step, if you gain life, put a 5-5 five, five horse token into play. Right. Um, so, two unfortunate things about it. 
the first unfortunate thing is the day after Crested Sunmare was spoiled, spoiled <laughs> Hour of Devastation, the card was spoiled. Yeah. Which, no matter how many horses you've got, that takes care of all of them. Right. Um, another unfortunate thing is that uh, the timing with... Um, oh, what is the card called? The, the card from all the Anointed Procession decks, the Black-White Enchantment, that... Uh, hidden Stockpile. Hidden Stockpile. Yeah. So... You know, if you were trying to make this work in some sort of, like, hidden stockpile... Anointer Priest. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, you know, like, Anointer Priest gains you a life whenever a token comes into play. Yeah. But the hidden stockpile token, which is kind of the main token generator for that deck, uh, comes into play at the beginning of the end step, so it doesn't net you a horse. Right. Um, Rough. For sure. So definitely rough. But this card has a lot of power packed into it somehow, so... Yeah, I mean, I just... I don't know of a good way of, like, triggering life gain every turn. Like, maybe there's some Crested Sun Mare, uh, God Pharaoh's uh, <laughs> d- deck uh, or something where you can gain some life every turn, but right. I don't know. But I, just, I, just don't, I just don't see it no, breaking the standard. I, I don't really either. It, it just, yeah. it would be cool. Um, yeah, the other card that a lot of people are talking about is uh, Bantu's Last Reckoning. This is the three mana Wrath. Um... That has a caveat that your lands don't uh, untap during your next untap step. Um, this card, for me at least, has just been impossible to. Uh, I don't see it at all. Yeah. Um, to value correctly. Uh, oh, mana- see, I, I, I you, value. You're it just at, very down. I'm on it. super down on it. Okay. My my play yeah. pattern with wraths, you know, you, you wrath so that you can do something. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't do something and they can do something after you wrath like you know wraths are good in two ways the first way is getting a bunch of card advantage off of it mm-hmm. the other way is getting that that tempo from it like oh they spent a bunch of mana on these guys you're killing them and then you know they get to do something but then you get to do something back like they're down to one turn's worth of stuff in play um, that second advantage of Wraths is completely negated by Bantu's Last Reckoning, and right. so you're really hoping to catch a bunch of guys with it. Yeah. Um, and I think that just, you know, there will be spots when you're like, yeah, I'm really glad I have this card. Right. But I think there will be a lot of spots where it's not a good Wrath of God. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely fair. Um, like, the, the only scenarios where I feel like it could potentially be good is that if you have, like, some cards that are like four to five mana that just like give you an immediate board presence Mm -hmm. and so you could play it on like turn seven sure or turn eight um like i could see like some sort of tap out control deck that's playing like liliana's and ishkana or something Mm -hmm. and you on turn eight can be like gone to his last reckoning clean up the board liliana minus ishkana go yeah um hopefully i'll survive for through two of your turns or whatever but um yeah the the like effective time walk uh cards that give your opponent an extra turn um i'm pretty wary of right yeah and i i think like kind of the main thing that made it click for me is the card savor the moment one blue blue sorcery you get an extra turn Mm -hmm. you skip your on tap step yeah just skipping that on tap is so brutal it it almost doesn't matter what text is on the card. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely, like, a, there's a whole cycle of these cards. Um, just none of them are terribly exciting. Uh, Ronus' Last Stand looks pretty sweet. 
but uh, Fatal Push exists. <laughs> so, right. If you're spinning two turns to make a 5 4 and it just dies to their one mana spell, it's just. You not, can't possibly win that game. Right? Yeah. It's just not going to work out for well for you. Um, Hour of Revelation, another big strike against Monument decks, and an especially big strike against the Anointed Procession decks. Um, this is just. Uh, uh, rats everything, rats all non line permanents for six mana. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, definitely. Uh, an interesting option for white control decks. Um, I just don't really know how often the f- first text on it, which is going to be, where it costs three less of their ten or more permanents right. on the battlefield. Um, you, you have to actively want um, Celestial... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember what this card is without that text. Um, but it used to be in standard. Uh, oh! Um, like the old card that was like this? Or that, that was just the second... Planar, planar, planar cleansing? Planar yeah. cleansing. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. You have to just want planar cleansing, and once in a while you'll also get to cast something after you cast this spell. Uh, right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, I am definitely less excited about Hour of Revelation than I am about Hour of Devastation. So The red one. But it... The presence of... And also, the the other big knock against Hour of Revelation that makes me super wary of it is that the white control decks, like the Nassif-style blue-white, mm-hmm. um, really, really relies on cast-out um, and, and to a lesser extent yes. stasis snare. Right, yeah. Um, so definitely a, kind of a nonbo there is like stasis... Or, yeah, cast-out in particular is like one of the definite pulls towards the white control decks. Right. I think um, just like having a cycling removal spell is very strong. Um, but Hour of Revelation, you just, like, almost can't even put, put those you two can't, cards in the same deck. They can't be in the same deck, yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, not excited about that that in particular. Um, and then the other Hour that I expect might see some play is Hour of Glory. Um, it's the four-mana removal spell, exile target creature. Um, I, I just don't see this card being better than um, Never. Sure. Um, I, I just don't think that the Exile Clause is powerful enough. Like, Ronus is very annoying for some decks to deal with. Uh, so maybe this is just necessary for, like, uh, the Black-Green Energy deck. Mm-hmm. Um, that essentially just has no answer to a Resolve Ronus, um, other than, like, clearing up the board and killing all the other creatures. Sure. Um, I mean, it could be a board card. So, yeah, maybe, potentially, like, the two Nevers that I had in my sideboard need, would need to turn into Hour of Glories. Um, if the metagame stayed as it is right now, sure. just as an answer to Ronus. And being an instant is is a legitimate upgrade for that kind of effect when you um, want to bring that in. Yeah, Be- and for sure. Being 4 mana is, yeah. a down- is a huge downgrade. Yeah, 4 mana is a lot for a removal spell, I think, right now in standard. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see where this goes. Sure. Um, uh, yeah. Um, the defeats are just not going to see any play. Uh, <laughs> Um, kind of going through, uh, Nimble Obstructionist is one of those kind of, like, interesting cards that might potentially fit into some flash deck. Oh, this is that um, 3-1 flash flyer with cycling that, that right. counters, uh... Uh, it's a high-power flash flyer, sure. which isn't nothing, um, but, uh, there just, like, really aren't too many triggered abilities right now in standard that I would want to care too much about. And, um, and flash at this exact moment is a, is not a... Not a good deck. Um, um, yeah, like spirits existed for a little bit when just kind of to beat up on um, Marvel. Yeah, but 
once Marvel went away, there's just kind of no incentive to play that kind of like flash tempo style of game. Right. The format is just too mid rangey, like lots of yep. four and five mana guys that yep. just will cost the flash deck multiple cards to deal with most of the time. And right. Um, yeah. So maybe in some metagame somewhere that deck might see some play, but um, not not too excited about it really. Um, uh, other than that, though, I think that mostly covers my thoughts on the new set. Yeah. Um, you know, these are just initial thoughts. Like, uh, I'm, I'm, I definitely expect to be wrong on some of these things. Oh, but, for sure. Uh, we, you know, I feel like I always maybe am. maybe claim is just terrible and and we can just never play it in modern. But um, well, you know, but here's hoping. There's not often a card spoiled that you immediately want to try in your Grixis Death Shadow seventy five. True. So. True. Yeah. So at least exciting in that sense. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that that covers things for the new set for me at least. Um, uh, yeah, I, you know, there's there's going to be some surprising cards in there that we've we've totally missed here. I'm, right. Yeah. Especially in standard. Maybe this eight mana demon is just insane. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it doesn't cost any mana to activate his ability. So right, like that's almost yeah. legit. <laughs> um, yeah. So who knows? Cool. Well, I think we've definitely recorded enough. <laughs> enough via uh, timestamps. Right. Um, so one thing that we wanted to talk about, but I think we might leave for, I don't know, maybe... Potentially another episode. Yeah, yeah, maybe next week or something. We yep. wanted to... I, I'd like to hear about sort of your team's process at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, now now that you're you're on a real team, you got the jerseys and everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I know you guys Skype a lot and prep for a tournament, so hopefully right. we'll be able to sit down. I, I'd like to give it the time that it deserves. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, yeah, definitely willing to talk about, like, just the process that we went through, the particular things that we looked at for each format. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I think that, you know, there was definitely some stuff that we did that was pretty interesting. Um, and our team had a pretty good invitational weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, wait, well, let's at least, like, talk about sort of your, your results for the invitational weekend. Right, so, um, myself and, uh, Christopher... Uh, both drew into top 32, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we had uh, Abe Stein win his last match to top 32, um, and uh, Zan cashed, um, and I think that we had one other player that cashed. So um, well, five out of seven cashing is is, is right, pretty legit yeah. results, and. and- 10, you know, almost 10% of the top 32 is your team. Like that's... Um, yeah, so, right, Abe top 32 I top 32 Dylan cashed, um, uh, Christopher McCord top 32 um, and Zen cashed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that we, you know, although we didn't have any, like, insane records or anything, just, like, the consistency uh, that we put up results in was, I was very happy with. Great. Yeah. Cool. Well, hopefully... Uh, very soon we'll get to talk about like how you achieve those results. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, um, yeah, and uh, you know, for those of you who keep up with the Star City Games series, uh, you know, keep an eye out for these guys. The The team right now exists persists of um, Abe Stein, myself, Collins Mullen, Dylan Donegan, Jonathan Rossum, Christopher McCord, and uh, Julian John, and Zan Syed. Um, so, and I, I've played against... Almost all of these guys in tournaments, and every time I've, I've really felt like they they played tight and and you know were a scary opponent to play against. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So we're we're definitely going to be pushing 
uh, to play a lot in the in the next season of the Stars Game series. Um, so uh, yeah, cool. Here's, here's to that for sure. Um, so if you guys want to find us, like definitely, if you guys have any questions that you want us to talk about on any podcast, uh, any yeah, I don't even know what to ask you guys to send us, but anything <laughs> you want to send us um, on Twitter. I am Dr. Pizzazz, D-R-P-I-Z-Z-A-Z-Z. Um, I don't have a Twitter set up for the podcast yet, but that's probably something I should do. Um, um, yeah, I, I think that we can probably set that up yeah. pretty easily. Um, be pretty easy. yeah. If you want to find me on Twitter, I am at Collins Mullen. Very simple. And that's uh, Collins Mullen, not Colin Mullins. Yes. Correct? Correct. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, despite the commentators wanting to uh, to take that the other way, uh, it's Collins Mullen. So, you know. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'll be updating things about um, uh, my tournaments and the things that I'm doing. Um, I, uh, I'm potentially streaming at some point uh, in the next couple of weeks. Cool. So um, uh, I'll definitely be posting about that if that ends up happening. So, yeah, some, some definite things to keep an eye out for. Awesome. Well, I think... I think that's all we need to do for today. Yeah, sweet. All right, see you guys soon.